two week break from um, because uh, we had our Easter service, which was a special special service, and um, Morgan uh, King, Pastor Kingy, uh, spoke last weekend with kind of a standalone sermon. So just thank thankful for you all. But we're con continuing now our, our series on the Book of Nehemiah, and uh, today's sermon is going to be about Sabbath rest. And let me just kind of uh, continue here. The people of God in the Old Testament wasn't called the church, it was called Israel. And they really found themselves in a place that I think we can identify with as a church, um, even today. The writer of the book in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, described this, um, this, described this as hardship. This was their situation, the place that they had found themselves in. Hardship. We might call it distress or a dull divine life as believers, in the corporate soul of God's people. Isn't that interesting? That Israel as a whole had entered into a dull, divine life, a hardship, a, dis a distressful spiritual experience. How many people in this room have ever known that if you've been a believer in Jesus Christ for any length of time? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> a life that was able to remember days in which the power of God was obvious, but just for some reason wasn't living in it anymore. So the leaders and the people of Israel, the, though the, the temples rebuilt, if you recall some of the story, the temple had been destroyed and Israel had been displaced. Well, Israel had returned. They had rebuilt the temple and even rebuilt the walls. And also, many of them returned to Jerusalem to occupy the city, yet they were still lacking vibrancy, life, and power. The building of the walls, even the warm bodies that filled the streets of Jerusalem didn't remedy the problem. And isn't that true sometimes? We can build up church edifices and even fill them, but for some reason, something is just still wrong. And we all know it. Something else, something bigger, something deeper. And that's really what the book of Nehemiah is all about. The prayer in chapter 9 is really Israel's reawakening. It's, it's the corporate understanding of the problem and them coming together to cry out to God. It's a confession of sin and a recognition that the distress they were going through was deserved. It was put on them because of their own rebellion. It was a recounting also of the promise of God to heal them. So it wasn't just this gloomy, miserable day. It was also remembering that the moment that they decided to repent, God would return and bring life and give them that vibrancy that they once had. And this led them to a house cleaning. It's springtime. Some of you are in the middle of spring cleaning. I don't even know what that means, personally. <laughs> Move the fridge. Clean behind the... That's what behind the fridge is for. <laughs> so here they are house cleaning, in a sense. They are beginning to take seriously their status. They're remembering that they are not just a people, a random group of people, warm bodies in the room. They are a holy people called out by God to be distinct and separate from the rest of the nations. And friends, so are you. So am I. What we do matters. And that matters not only for, the, for our own personal joy in Christ, but it matters for our children, it matters for our neighbors, it matters for our co-workers. It matters, most importantly, for the glory of God himself. 
So we need to take seriously that our status as a separate holy people, and that's what they did. At the reading of God's word, they realized together that they had taken it lightly. Oh, that command isn't that big a deal. Whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. Consequently, they had this had eventually led them to be seduced by other gods, and they begin to they began to worship the created thing over the creator. Oh, and how miserable our lives become as Christians when that's what we do. To be separate from sin is to be separate from slavery, the death we gather, and joined to our maker. What we have in chapter 8 and following is the unfolding process of revival happening in the hearts of God's people. It's characterized first by the hearing of the word of God, which brought conviction of sin and revelation of who God is and what his will was. And secondly, it brought about a formal and corporate confession of God's people for their stiff-neckedness, if that's a word. (laughs) They were stiff-necked. Third, it brought about a renewed commitment to obey God's word, to change, to be separate, to be holy. You see this happening here. And that's really the, the subject of chapter 10. It's, it's this house cleaning. It's a realizing that we have disobeyed the Lord in these areas and we need to make rights. And the fruit of new life from God is always obedience to his word, which is described always as separateness or holiness in scripture. And by the way, there is a sense in which all created people, whether they know Jesus or not, are holy, uh, lowercase h. Let me explain to you what I mean here. Consider the words of C.S. Lewis. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most interesting person you can talk to, maybe he's talking about uh, me here, (laughs) to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship it, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. You see what he's saying here? There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. But it is mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Oh, the dignity of humanity, because God has made it such. Human beings are indeed a distinct creature. Everyone lives forever. It just depends on where. Either with God in eternal bliss or separate from him in eternal horror. So human beings are indeed, that we're a distinct creature, aren't we? But sin has stripped us of our purpose, which is to be worshipers of God and supremely happy in our relationship. with Supremely, God has created us to be supremely happy in our relationship with him. And sin messed all that up. The call to be separate is to be saved from that divine separation, you see? Once separated from God, now separated from from that separation. You see, you see what I'm trying to say here? We were once separated from God, but now because of Christ, we are separated from that separation. We, were, we are called back into being that distinct people we were always supposed to be. 
restored to the high and distinct position as God's image bearer. That's who you are in Christ. Whether you're grieving the Holy Spirit or being filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that is who you are in Christ. So to be separated from sin, I said this before, is to be separated from slavery, the death we carry, joined to our maker, and a mark of separation. We are marked by We look differently when we are called out and we are holy and we are separated unto God to worship him only and no other gods. That begins to make us make different choices in life. We look different. One of those things that, we, that were a mark of separation from it for Israel that we spoke about a couple weeks ago is only joining in marriage to someone of shared faith. But today we're going to look at a, another distinct mark of separation, and that is observing Sabbath rest. I want to talk to you about this for a few brief moments and talk about what it is and why it's important. The rest of God's people, the, 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 this, this rest, Sabbath, rests on God's people as a distinction. It's what marks us out from the nations, that we are set apart as his special people, his specially adorned bride. And listen to what, let's be reminded of what Israel had committed to in verse 31. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any other holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and we will cancel all debts. So here is this recommitment to what was a clear command to observe the Sabbath, to be a day of rest, to not be a day of work. They had neglected it, and consequently they had, their hearts were led astray to worship other gods, and now they were returning back to obey what the word of God had said. The topic, I think, in our modern world seems maybe a little bit superstitious. What is this Sabbath day all about? It seems spooky. It, may, it might seem foolish or regressive if you're not a Christian. And if you are a Christian, the church, I don't know that we handle it all that much better. Uh, I, I think we ha handle it with kind of maybe equal apathy. It seems reserved for another time. Well, that's what they did, they did in the Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. Or, or maybe we do acknowledge that we need to observe it, but it's not a big deal. It's kind of, we kind of chalk it up to that. Some of you might recall the movie Chariots of Fire. Have you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Very popular movie. Dun, dun, da, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Um, so you might have called the movie Chariots of Fire. It was about um, two men, one in particular, Eric Liddell, who was a famous um, Christian runner from England. Liddell was a runner in the, in the Paris Summer Olympics of 1924. His best race that he was certain to win was the 100 meter. But there was a problem because Liddell was more committed to the word of God than he was to culture and than he was to even racing or the Olympics. So the, his problem happened when they decided to schedule the 100-meter race on Sunday, which for the Christian in the New Testament is the Christian Sabbath. It's the way we observe the Sabbath today. So Liddell refused to run and consequently lost the gold medal. They didn't change the schedule for him. He lost the gold medal in an event he was guaranteed to win. It was his best event. Now in races that followed, he, he raced and he ran well and he got a bronze and a gold. But he was willing to sacrifice that gold medal that Sunday morning because he was first devoted to Jesus Christ. And his coach, what do you think his coach might have said to him? Well, nowadays, what are you, nuts? What's the matter with you? Get, get in. God will, it's not that big a deal. Just take a rest from the rest for one day. Right? That's how I think all, maybe all of us would process like that, even as Christians. But that's not what his coach did. His coach slipped him a note. It said, 1 Samuel chapter, this is all it said, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20. 
He who honors me, I will honor. What a coach. Liddell would later um, serve, this, is, this isn't in the movie, this is kind of after his life, but Liddell would later serve as a missionary in China, finding himself in a Chinese prison camp. His home country were, was, were able to pull some strings and get him out, and the day he was supposed to leave, he's leaving, and he sees a pregnant woman lying in a cell, and he says, take her, I'm staying. And he stayed in that prison, and he died there. What a man. <laughs> a brave and godly man. But there's that one thing that all of us trip over in his life. Why would he do that? Why Just run on Sunday. What's the big deal? But rather he would worship Jesus on the Lord's day rather than do what for him was work. A much more Christian England turned its head, some in shock, some in scorn, others really praising him. So this morning... I want to talk about the Sabbath. Who is it for? What, did, what, it, what is it? How is it to be observed? And why should the church do it today? Why the church should observe it still? So let's look at the what and how. I think that's the best place to, to start. What, what is the Sabbath day and how should it be observed by us? It should it be observed by us. Let me provide this basic thesis for you. The Sabbath day, as it's known in this context, in Nehemiah, is no longer a part of Christian worship. But there is a form of Sabbath observation still operative today. So there's a way in which they were observing the Sabbath in the Old Testament that no longer applies to the New Testament church. And we'll get into this a little bit more, and hopefully it won't be confusing, and I can demonstrate this. It's obvious from our text that Israel, we can all agree with this, Israel at the time had done something wrong. They weren't keeping the Sabbath, and it was a problem. So we know, at least in Scripture, that that God expects his people on some level, especially in the Old Testament, or obviously, I should say, in the Old Testament here. <clears throat> but they had not been doing this. What is the Sabbath, though? What, was, what is it for them or us? First of all, observing the Sabbath rest was a creation ordinance. That's the first thing that we have to know. You say, well, what does that even mean? What's a creation ordinance? That's kind of like theological language. It might be a bit confusing. Let me explain to you what this means. Before sin entered the world, before Adam and Eve, the story of Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Before sin entered the world, God had instructed, commanded Adam and Eve to keep the Sabbath day. Just as he instructed them to be married, just as he instructed them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, he said, you shall rest on the seventh day. Okay? God worked, from, God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he had rested um, to basically appreciate all that he had done to rest from all that he had done. So right at the beginning of time, the Sabbath day was a part of, um, a part of the practice of humanity before sin entered the world. And what does that mean for us? That means something very simple. Because it's creation ordinance, it is always applicable to any people of God in any era. Does that make sense? Just the, just the, the same reason we all still get married today, and we don't say, well, they just got married in the Old Testament. The reason we still get married today is because it was a creation ordinance. You see? So this means that Sabbath observation didn't begin with Moses, is the point. Okay? With, with the Mosaic law. Therefore, Sabbath observation, in some sense, should continue throughout all time. <clears throat> and we're going to go into that a little bit more later. But what, what is it secondly? Well, secondly, it's a day of rest. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, this is the first time we see it. By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then in, in Exodus chapter 20, we really see the, the model, the paradigm of what we should be doing on the Sabbath day as well. Remember the Sabbath day, Exodus chapter 20, this is the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Remember the seventh day by keeping it holy, set it apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or your female servant, nor your animals. Give your animals a break from pulling the, pulling the big heavy stones. <laughs> nor any foreigner uh, residing in your towns. So this isn't just for Christians, this is for all nations. For in six days the Lord made... Here's what, why do we do this. Because in six days the Lord worked, and on the seventh day he rested. Likewise, we should as well. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In the Ten Commandments, by the way, the Sabbath day is the most lengthy command. If you look at it just kind of lengthwise, more explanation is given on the Sabbath day than any other command in the Ten Commandments. So the Sabbath rhythm is six days of work and one day of rest. Those things which God has created are for man's enjoyment, right? God created things to show, show us his great power and love for us, and we're to observe that creation and give him great praise for it. So you can call the Sabbath day a day for a kind of play. Isn't that great news? Playful rest in which we worship our king, the creator. So and what, what's kind of playful rest examples? Well, music. Hiking, swimming, garden, things like this where we can observe the power and majesty and creative genius of our God. So it's true to say that one might rest from what is their normal work. See? You see, for Lydell, running was his normal work. For you, it might not be. For you, you might experience the pleasure and grace of God in running, so you might go for a run on Sunday. Some of us <coughs> might, might want to do that a little bit more. <laughs> So it's a day of rest. It's a day of worship or reflection in our rest. It's not just watching TV all day because it makes us rest. It's a day in which we are, our leisure, our rest, gives glory to Jesus Christ, in which we're reminded of his glory. It's an opportunity to be in awe of the one who create all, created all things. So again, like I say, it's not a, simply a day to just lounge around. It's a day to worship God in all that we do. You say, well, isn't that every day? Yes, but that's another sermon for another time. Of course it is. But in particular, we are to actually rest from certain activities for the purpose of worship. So it's also, what number is this? I gave you three things so far. Yeah, okay, this is number four. It's a day reserved to gather with God's people for fellowship, to hear the word of God and to worship him corporately. Now we're going to get to this a bit more, uh, in a moment, but suffice it to say that the New Testament points to the public gathering of the church as something observed on, on a Sabbath day. Six days of work, one day of rest. See? So every seven days, in other words, on a, on a Christian Sabbath, we're not, also, not only to rest, but we're to gather together to worship God. So in the New Testament and in the early church, this happened on the first day rather than the seventh. And the reason for it is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on the eighth day. So the church is to observe the Sabbath on a different day in a different way, but it still resembles the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. The Sabbath, by the way, simply means seventh. And actually in the Old Testament, there are times in which they celebrated the Sabbath day 
not on this, the seventh day, but on, on another day, because it was the end of a series of six. Does that make sense? So what's important to note here, though, for our purposes, is that the Christian Sabbath serves the purpose for the local church to gather, to hear the word of God, to remember their sin and the salvation which God's grace provides. So who, who is the Sabbath for, number two? Who is the Sabbath for? Now, I already kind of implied this, but let's get into this a little bit more. Is the church required to keep some form of Sabbath? Or is this a thing for the Old Testament, like, like the sacrifice of lambs? Right? Like that was for then, that's not, no longer operative. Now, again, I've suggested that it is a form of it is operative today. But some have suggested that the church is not required to keep any form of the Sabbath, nor are they required to gather on the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, or Sunday. The church is required, some say, to gather maybe weekly, but it really doesn't matter what day or time. Let's try and understand this. I want to understand where that, where that reasoning comes from. God gave specific instruction to the nation of Israel, his law. You guys know this? God gave the law through Moses to Israel in the Old Testament. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that, right? There's tons of things that God's law includes in the Old Testament. We learn in the book of Romans, it's a New Testament book written by someone named Paul, that Christ has fulfilled the law. Okay, let me explain to you what this means. Paul explains that when the law was given to Israel through Moses, that it was given as a tutor. It was given, in other words, as, a, as almost a symbol of something greater to come. It's pointing us forward to something else. So the sheep sacrificed is pointing to the Lamb of God that would come later. And when Christ came, consequently, he is the fulfillment of the law. So in other words, we don't have to keep symbolically sacrificing animals because the Lamb of God once and for all was sacrificed for all. You see what I mean? So Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Therefore, there are, there are many ceremonial or religious laws in the Old Testament that no longer need to be observed by the church today. Now, I hope that doesn't confuse you, but I hope that, that on a, and at least in a general sense, it makes sense to you. We read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you but by what you eat or drink, or, what, or with regard to a religious festival, because in the Old Testament, there were all these laws about what foods you could eat or drink. And these festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Don't let anyone judge you with regards to these things. These are a shadow... That's like the symbol, right? These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Amen. See? So now, in the church, we can eat bacon. <laughs> Amen? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus is risen. We can eat bacon. Yes. <laughs> Should we eat bacon is another question, probably should be more tomatoes. <laughs> but this verse demonstrates clearly that the church was not practicing typical mosaic rituals, right? Because he's saying, don't let anyone judge you for this. Obviously, they're doing stuff that looks different to the typical Jew. So don't let anyone judge you for this. So obviously, some Christians um, <clears throat> were not practicing, I should say the church in general, was not practicing the typical mosaic Sabbath. Um, observance with all of its unique restrictions because in the mosaic sabbath came along with tons of rules attached to it right 
So some Christians, upon considering this, have thought that the Sabbath day as a whole has been completely done away with, just as the sacrifice of animals. You get it? You see where that kind of comes from now? But because the Sabbath day is a first creation ordinance, the Sabbath day is not done away, but transformed by the death and resurrection of Christ. In other words, it looks different than what the Old Testament described it as. It's observed differently, but nonetheless observed. And it's clear in the New Testament that a new Sabbath was being observed. We can see this clearly in the Gospels and the Epistles and the writings of the early church. And let me give you some proof for that. Jesus resurrected from the dead and appeared to various of his disciples on the first day of the week and not on the Sabbath day. Okay, so this was the foundation for the Lord's Day that would come when the, when the church would start meeting on the Lord's Day. Then the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles as tongues of fire, guess on what day? The Lord's Day. On the eighth day, not the Sabbath day. The first day of the week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, demonstrates um, communion um, to be practiced on the Lord's Day. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he had intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Breaking bread for a, for, for a Christian is done in the context of the local church, so we know that this was actually the Lord's Day, the breaking of bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 shows that the collection, the offering, was taken on the first, on the first day. It says in verse 2, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So the church gathered was supposed to take communion and also take an offering. Um, when they gathered on the Lord's Day. John, this is most convincingly um, shown in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. John tells us, 60 years after the Lord had ascended into heaven, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So clearly now the language of the Lord's Day is entering into the, the life of the church. Meeting on the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day is actually now called something the Lord's Day. And for more proof of this, we can look at the early church. The early church fathers were disciples of the apostles. So it's, it's important for us to know how they understood things. Because their teachers were John and Paul and all these men. Right? So in the Didache, which was another book uh, called The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, it says, On the Lord's own day, gather together and break bread and give thanks, having first confessed your sins, so that your sacrifice may be pure. So the instruction of the apostles to the church is to meet to gather on the Lord's day. Um, of Barnabas, the epistle of Barnabas in chapter 15, it says, It is not the present Sabbaths that are acceptable to me, but the one that I have made on that Sabbath. After I have set everything at rest, I will create the beginning of an eighth day, which is the beginning of another world. So in other words, at the end of time, there is an eternal rest. This is why we spend the eighth day in celebration, the eighth day, the first day, does that make sense? Yeah. The eighth day, the first day, in celebration, the day in which Jesus both rose from the dead and after appearing again, ascended into heaven. Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyons, in AD 178, said the duty of celebrating the mystery of the resurrection of our Lord may be done on, only on the Sabbath, okay? Or on the day of the Lord, rather. So it's clear that the early church still recognized a kind of Sabbath, Right? A, a day in which, after a series of six working days, we rest, we gather to worship, and we use the rest of that day to continue our worship in other ways. So it's clear that that form of the Sabbath ob observation 
was not the common mosaic form which which had been filled which had been fulfilled in Christ but they but a kind of of day of rest had continued on even in the church the form for the for the church would keep the Sabbath holy simply by gathering resting and reflecting we're going to get to that more in a second okay so as members of the church this means for us that we need to prioritize the gathering of of, of ourselves as believers after a series of six work days we rest and worship on a seventh does that make sense and we do this for the breaking of bread the hearing of God's word the collection of offerings to support our, to support our pastors teachers so so we need to be careful not to neglect it for work's sake or convenience sake now the Bible does provide some exceptions like work exceptions I'm not really going to get into that right now. If you're curious about that, we can talk later. But in general, we need to be careful not to neglect it for, for work's sake or the gathering itself, I mean, for work's sake or convenience sake. But, but also, the rest of the day should be taken at rest. So it's not just about gathering. It, so we don't look at Sabbath day as simply, well, I went to church. Um, now I'm going to use the rest of the day to, to not really consider worship. The whole day should be considered worship. And this is a good, uh, a good uh, transition to examine why God's people should observe the Lord's day. Let's look at why now. This is our third point. The first reason we're, we're to do this is, quite frankly, obedience. Don't you like it when people say that? Because God, tell, because God said so. <laughs> like, but, but, but friends, that's just simply true. I can't get around it. That's the first and most uh, simple reason, and probably the most important. Scripture tells us to not forsake the gathering of ourselves. Right? So we need to not neglect that. It tells us to do this. This gathering is a weekly commitment to God's word and people on the Lord's day, along with rest and the like. Now, like, again, I know like sometimes we can... We can understand a, a day of rest differently from others because of our situation in life, but, but you know I can't really get into all the potential ways in which that that is affected. But in but like I said, in general, we need to have a day off, a day of rest to worship God. So the gathering is a, is that weekly commitment to God's word and His people. So the Christian is duty bound to treat this as holy. In other words, separate it. Separate it out. It is holy. It's distinct. I'm going to use this day for this purpose. It's a, and, that, and what is that purpose? It's a day of rest and worship. <clears throat> like I said, there are some exceptions, like emergency vocations and some other exceptions that Scripture gives. The stated norm is to, to rest from normal work and worship with God's people. And this requires an intentional sacrifice, doesn't it? It, sometimes it requires a financial sacrifice. Sometimes it requires a convenience sacrifice. We should be cautioned not to treat this as light and therefore optional, um, just like we should not treat any of God's word as light or optional. The second reason is a little bit more fun. Okay? Expedience. The Bible tells us to observe the, the, the Sabbath for expedience sake. And what do I mean by that? Lest you think this is a burden. You need this, friend, for the health of your own soul, for the joy of your life. You need this. Peter Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he says that one of the reasons that many, including, 
Christians suffer such emotional distress is because they don't have a Sabbath. They work every single day, and they never stop to take a day off and worship Jesus Christ. Friends, you need a day off. So if you think I'm being a bully, if you think I'm just trying to get more butts in the seat on Sunday morning, friends, can you just affirm with me that this is not, this is not just me trying to fill a, a church. This is for your sake, for your health's sake, for your soul's sake. We need a day off. Praise God. The Bible says that, that my law is light and it brings joy. Isn't it great that we have a good... A lot of times we think God's law is simply something like this annoying chore that we have to do that we don't really want to do. But isn't it great that the word of God says, take a day off. Yeah. Yep. I am commanding you, take a day off. <laughs> That's good news to me. I like that. <laughs> so we need a day off to breathe in the fresh air of God's creation, to be reminded of our sin, his salvation, and, and his resurrection hope. We need to stop our busy lives to reflect on what God has done. So we need to do it for expedience sake. We often, like, like I said, we think that God's law is designed to give us some kind of annoying chore or some self-denial thing of pleasure. But here in God's word, his eternal law tells us to stop, to worship, to rest, to enjoy. It's been one of um, the great joys of my life when uh, in the handful of jobs that I've had where I've gone to my boss and, and I've said, I can't work on Sunday. Sorry. You know, and I, and I know I'm, I'm not trying to be judgmental here. Please don't start judging other people that have jobs that work on Sunday because all of us can say, I can't work on this day. I need, a, I need this day off, right? Because I'm worshiping God on this or that day. But the, finally, we, we need to observe the Sabbath for dependence' sake. Let me explain to you what I mean. What should be clear in some of the verses that we looked at is that we observe the Sabbath to be reminded that we are not alone in the world. We depend on God for everything. You know, the children of Israel weren't to work on the Sabbath day um, when they were wandering around in the wilderness. you remember this? And you know what God did for them on Friday? He gave them a double portion. He said, I will give you double on Friday so that on Saturday you don't have to scrape up the manna off the rocks and you can eat it without working. What, what does that remind us of? That we need God for everything. We need God for our food. We need God. We think, you, you think that the reason you have food in your mouth and a car to drive is because you work hard? <clears throat> Wrong. You have those things because God gave them to you. God gave, that, gave you a brain to think, and he gave you muscles to lift. He gave you all of those things. And part of the purpose of a Sabbath day is for us to be reminded that we are not in control, that God is, and that we need him. Amen? <clears throat> I'm not going to work today. I'm going to depend on you to supply all my needs. I'm going to depend on you to satisfy my soul. I'm going to depend on you to save me from my sin to rescue me from a broken world. And let's not, be, let's not forget this incredibly important passage in the book of Hebrews that talks all about rest. You know what Hebrews says? Hebrews says that the eternal Sabbath is coming, that the rest that all Christians will enjoy is coming, and that all of life is work, right? That your whole life, and not only your whole life, but all of human history is a laboring until you realize a day of rest 
that will come forever and ever and ever. And you know what that Sabbath rest is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ labored and worked on the cross for our sin. And one day, because of that, we will enter into his rest. And, the, and our day off, so to speak, is a reflection on the, the grueling nature of life because of sin at times, but the redemption and salvation that God provides, the rest that he will bring guaranteed. Amen? Amen. So we do this. The reason why we take a day off to worship God together is for obedience sake, expedience sake, and dependence sake. And I think that's all I have to say. If you're a Christian friend, can we acknowledge that like Israel and Nehemiah, sometimes we neglect to just take a day off and worship Jesus. And can we be inspired as Christians to begin intentionally to gather with God's people and to worship him, to set aside work and worship him for the day? Isn't that great news that we get to do that? that can we just confess we tend to treat it like we saw above as as like an hour chore that we get, like our church is like a chore that we get through before we get to the stuff that we really want to be doing. You know, like we, we got our beach clothes in the car and it's running because we won't waste that much gas. Right? Can we, can we mark a day of rest, gather with God's people, and spend the rest of that day in playful and restful worship? Isn't that a great vision to have for your life? And friend, I'm going to tell you the great benefits that you'll realize if you commit to this. And if you don't know Christ, can you see that the, the rest that all this points to? That the brokenness of this working and tired world is because of sin, and any repentant sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ will enter into his eternal rest. Amen? Let's pray. God, are we grateful for the work of Christ on the cross? and the rest that he will provide. I know I probably left questions unanswered, and I pray, Lord, that we would just kind of work those things out. But just in general, God, would you teach us to stop and reflect and worship with your people, with our family, with our friends, by ourselves. Teach us to do this, Lord. Forgive us for not doing it. We love you, Lord, and we ask that if there's anyone here that is in the difficult, sinful experience of this world, and you want the rest of Jesus Christ, you can enter into it right now, this moment. Confess your sin to the Lord. Confess that you are a sinner, that you have worshipped other lords, that he alone is Lord, and that Jesus Christ, his son, died for all of your sin, on the third day rose again, conquered death. Trust in that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And friend, if that is happening to you right now, if you're making that decision, come to Christ. Trust in him. Enter into his rest. And if that's you, I just implore you, come and talk to me afterwards, so that we can continue on your new journey of faith in Christ. We love you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.